Well, this morning, we're going to move on into our new series called Parents of Spiritual Leaders, and I'm pretty excited about what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, we're going to uh, kind of walk through this, and uh, I'm going to ask you um, at this time to go ahead and pray with me as we begin to discuss these matters. I do hope, you know, I was surprised by some of the response to the Great Date, or the Love and Marriage series, Great Date series. Um, I mentioned it before, and... and um, I, uh, I hope you see this seriously. I, I feel it in my own life that whenever you attempt to change or really look at your life or struggle with some real issues, you know, life can start kicking you in the pants. And, uh, and many of us had that experience. And I know, and I hope that if that was you through that series and you're like, oh, there was some stuff that came up that I didn't want to deal with or, you know, my relationship's not like that or I don't even have a husband or a wife or, you know, I'm divorced or I'm confused or whatever it is, I hope that through it all, you would continue to journey with Jesus, that you would trust him in that place and continue walking forward to see what he has for you. Because I am convinced, and scripture attests, that those who continue to exhibit faith in Jesus Christ enter the promised land. You know what I mean? I mean, the Old Testament narrative is those who didn't quit got to see the promised land. Those who persevered with Christ got to see it. And I hope in your own lives you're doing that and we're not turned away by the difficulties that face us. So anyway, if you're like me and it's been kicking your butt a little bit, uh, I think we're in good company. So, because that's part of the scriptural narrative. All right, so um, I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we get into uh, this new series and uh, pray that God will continue to do hard work in our lives. So join me in prayer. This morning, Lord, we've been before you the whole day. Since our feet hit the floor, since before our first conscious thought today, Father, you were there with us, attending to us, uh, calling us toward yourself, rebuking our sin. Father, you use dreams and you use visions and you use everything. You use scripture and your Holy Spirit and always you are drawing us toward yourselves and toward the truth of your gospel in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would know that today in a real way. I pray that this time, if no other time in the week, we can set aside to listen to you and that we can be changed. And that is hard for us, Lord. And, and we'll be the first to say that. That is hard to change. And, and yet we trust you because we don't want to be the same. We don't want to be stuck where we are. And we don't want to continue to make our own foolish decisions. Rather, we come to you today seeking wisdom and guidance and a clear way forward. May we see it in your word. May we live it in our lives. And may we be glorifying to you because you are worthy of our best effort and you're worthy of our glory. We give you praise today in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who makes all this possible. Amen. So we're going to jump into this new series, but I wanted to kind of give you an idea, a little bit of the background. I may have shared this with you a little bit already, but um, one, th this series was really kind of the kernel for the whole fall sermon planning. You know, the love and marriage stuff came only because this came. This came because Pastor Corey and I, by the way, Pastor Corey was the one up here with uh, Brandon earlier, and um, if you don't know that, and he and I, we have staff meetings, and we were sitting and talking one day, and we were kind of, you know, just um, struggling to, to, um, to really find a way to help make disciples, really to, to know what our role is. And, and where our responsibilities lie. And uh, we feel a lot of that pressure, you know? Like, we've stood in this gap, and we've, 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 we've stepped in this role of pastor, and, and then the question is, what are we called to do and not called to do? And some of the things we run into all the time is like an impossible barrier. I'll give you an example. These are some of the things we talked about, real-life experiences. We both had people who've had teenagers who are off in a ditch, you know? They've made some really poor life choices. They're just completely out of control, and, and people will come to us and, and say, you have to fix my kid. 
And if you're ever in that spot, like, how do you respond to that? Um, we've had situations where there's been husbands and wives and children in complete meltdown mode, and then we're asked to come in and somehow, like, be a Band-Aid and, and put things together. And, and here's the truth. We can't do that. We aren't God. We can't come into your life and make it all right. We, we can't come into the lives of your children and, and, and single-handedly make them disciples of Jesus Christ. And some of you might be a little like, well, what in the world are we paying you for, right? That's a fair question. You're free to ask me at any time. We, we feel this responsibility to continually lift the name of Jesus Christ, to, to sell ourselves to him in every possible way, and to encourage you to do the same, to encourage you to follow him with everything that you have. And, and this is what we came to. So we're talking, and we said this. I think Corey said, can you imagine the impact if we could empower parents to be the spiritual leaders of their homes? You see, because we have a model of ministry where we drop our kids off. We have a model of life where we drop our kids off. You know, we, we drop them off at school and we hope that they learn. We, we drop them off at, at, at soccer and hope they learn how to play. We drop them off. And, and if, if you're like me and you, you become like a taxi service, and my kids aren't super active, and I know some of you have a lot more busy than I do, but you know, honestly, we become like a, a, a deliverer of our children to experts, experts, experts. And, and you know, Andy Stanley said something in a book, a great little book, and if you haven't uh, checked this out, I would encourage you to do so. It's called um, Choosing to Cheat. It's actually written to couples. It's a fantastic book you can read. It's like maybe 120 pages, a little book, super great. But, but one of the things he says is this. We, too many times we, we choose to do the things that anyone can do, and we ignore the things that only we can do. And that's become the kind of basis of this series. That as a parent of a child, we have the ultimate uh, influence and responsibility. I'll run, I ran some numbers I wanted to share with you which I found pretty, pretty uh, telling, pretty staggering. And this, I think, is what we were talking about when we said, can you imagine if we could equip parents to be the spiritual leaders of their kids, the impact it would have? It's doing some straight math with me, okay? There's 168 weeks, or 168 hours in a week, straight up, 24 by 7, 168 hours. Now, depending on your kids and their sleeping schedules, I guessed that they would sleep somewhere between 28 and 70 of those hours every week. Now, those of you who aren't quick with math, that means between four hours a night, because I know some teenagers are getting about four, you know, and, uh, and um, 10 hours a night, which is 70. So somewhere between 24 and 70, or 28 and 70, kids spend sleeping. 35 hours are spent in school, which surprised me, because I subbed in this district for a while, and I couldn't believe that on any given day, you know, the teachers that we hire in this district, they get to touch 100 kids a day in the middle school. 100 kids a day for an hour a day, they get to influence them, you know, influence their decision, influence their thinking, influence their lives, encourage them. But, you know, all that added up for your kid is only 35 hours a week out of 168. So, so far you have, if they sleep a lot, twice as much sleeping as they get time at school. And we really do rely upon schools to do a lot of the work that we're called to do as parents. Right? Check it out. Adding on these things, out of the 168 hours, we spend between, our kids will spend between two and four hours in church settings. Right? I want you to see that. So you have like 28 to 70, you have like 35, and you have like 2 to 4. 
to build relationships, to come to know Jesus Christ, to, 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 to understand what scripture means, to know how to live it out, two to four hours a week is the, is the touch that we get on a normal, any given week. I say two to four because this is the way this works. We have some kids that come to Krabby. Traditionally, we had some kids that come to Krabby, which Krabby's our student ministry here, seventh through twelfth grades, and that usually runs two hours a week, seven to nine right now on Saturday nights. Um, and then we to come here on Sunday morning, and that's about two hours, which is funny because sometimes we'll say, is, is service going to last all day? But you know, we, we start around 10, and you know, sometimes late, and we're usually out of here by noon. That's two hours a week. Out of 168 hours, we spend two hours here together talking about Jesus. And that means that depending on how much your child sleeps, there's 103 to 59 hours left. And the question is, where do those hours go? Now, I know that doesn't account for, like, sports. doesn't account for those type of things. But you can't help but look at the portions of schedule and think, what part of this as a parent do I have responsibility for? And I'm not talking to you. I'm talking with you. I'm talking about my kids. Is it enough for my kids that I drop them off at Krabby and hope and pray that somehow Corey can do something that in two hours a week that I can't seem to do in, in, in 105 hours a week? Is that reasonable? Now, why would I bring this to your attention? Why, why we care so much about this? Because here's where we see it. It's a full-blown crisis. The kid's making terrible choices. He's in a real mess this time. And I can't deal with it anymore. And you have to fix it. And that's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And so what I'm wondering as we, as we uh, consider what God tells us about our role as parents and spiritual leaders in our homes, and we're going to get into that, I wonder, you know, what would it mean instead of, if instead of waiting with our hands off the wheel, right, and the cruise control set at like 70 and just hoping we'll hit a ditch, and when we hit the ditch and there's carnage, we run in and we ask for spiritual direction. What if all the time we were making little adjustments along the way as parents in our kids' lives? What if all the time you, you and I both really were influencing our children toward godly matters, toward spiritual matters, toward being followers of Jesus Christ? What would happen in our children's lives if we dared to step up into the role that God has called us to? I'll remind you that in Ephesians, this is what Paul writes. He says, the, the role that we have as believers in Jesus is to prepare God's people for works of service that the body of Christ might be built up. And I wonder, why don't we think that applies to our family? You know, we read that and we say, well, it's about building up the church. But why don't we think that's true of our family? Well, today I'm going to ask you uh, to look at a few passages with me. The, um, the, the, the fundamental text, and we do this when we do, um, oh, hey, look, there's our pictures of our, hey, look at this blurry picture, Mark. Cute. So cute. All right, so they got slid around. So I want you to look at Deuteronomy with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses, uh, or what is it? Chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. Deuteronomy is in the First Testament. Now, the First Testament, this is like Israel. We talked a minute ago about the Promised Land and God delivering his people to the Promised Land. Uh, it's going to come up here in a second. It's just a little slow this morning for some reason. There it is. De Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. It's on page 128 of your Bibles. And I want to read this. I'm actually going to encourage you to, to memorize part of this. This is called the Shema. 
by the way. It's very well known in, um, in the uh, Jewish tradition, Hebrew tradition. This is the way it reads. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be put upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your households and on your gates. And this is a, this is a key, you know, Shema is like, remember, O Israel, remember, right? Don't forget. We, when we do communion, we always say, remember Jesus and his sacrifice. And here's this command. And it starts off, as, as most would, of saying, our call is to love God with everything that we have. And that's what we're going to talk about today, actually. But I want to encourage you throughout this series, we're going to have about six weeks in the series, I want to encourage you to memorize verse 7. It's one verse of scripture, and it says, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Because it's very clear direction given to those who are following Yahweh here, and later who will be following the Messiah, Jesus, on our responsibility as parents. But today I want to start with this idea, a concept to lay the foundation for everything we're going to talk about. Because we've already kind of talked about this uh, this morning a little bit. Um, and that's this, that um, it's unreasonable to expect your children to become followers of Jesus Christ if you and I aren't followers of Jesus Christ ourselves. And that might sound kind of obvious. You go, well, yeah, that, that of course, you know, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, but I think that we, I don't know if we really believe that that's true. I think we can believe that we can put them in like a magic disciple-making machine and they'll pop out the other side and we'll somehow go, wow, that was cool, but we'll have no idea how that happened. I want to look at the, the Great Commission. This is in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, you should know this passage of scripture, but uh, this is kind of where all the churches get their marching orders. We talk about what the mission of the church is, and I want to see what happens here in Jesus' command. So this is what the word says. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. By the way, this is post-death uh, Jesus. So Jesus had died on the cross already, right? And he had said he was going to die on the cross. And the disciples were like, no way, it's not going to happen. And yet it came to pass. And, and I'll remind you that Peter's in this group, and Peter's one that said, I'll never deny you. And yet he denied Jesus. So I want you to see the depth of those that Jesus is calling to follow him. But this is what he says. Love this passage of scripture. How can you not? Then the, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when, the, he, when they saw him, right, Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this is something you've probably heard, like, if you've been around church for any length of time at all, I hope you've heard this passage repeatedly talked about, that, that Jesus, and, and it's called the Great Commission, it means the great empowering, the great command, if you will, but a command that you can achieve, he says, go into all nations making disciples, right? Now, I want to ask you, this is an interactive service this morning, did I tell you that already? 
Oh, yes, a few of you. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, so I want to ask you a question. Looking at Matthew 28, uh, who is Jesus talking to? This is the part where you interact. You can just say it. Who is he talking to? By the way, this is an open book test. So you can just look at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I always tell you there's no mystery in what I do here. You can just open it up and look at it. Okay, who is it? Yeah. So Jesus is talking to disciples, right? Now, who are the disciples? We're like, okay, they're, you know, and by the way, you notice there's 11 of them now because Judas isn't there anymore, right? 11 disciples left meeting at the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And he shows up, and they're like, you know, worshiping. By the way, can I just throw something out there? Can you believe that they wrote down that some of the disciples doubted? Can you believe that there was some of the 11 in the room that when Jesus was there, they were not really sure what this meant? That's crazy to me that they wrote that down. I think if I was, you know, because I would be inspired by the Holy Spirit, I'd be worried about what people are going to think. And I'd be like, you can't write down that people have doubts in here. This is Jesus. Eleven of us in the room. The word says some doubted and some worshiped. It's a beautiful thing. And so he gives this command to the disciples. The disciples, the disciples meaning those who he ate with, who he walked with, who he talked with, who he spent time with. The eleven, as much as they were screwed up, you know, and they all washed away at the end, they were the ones that were there till the very bitter end. They were still with them until they couldn't take it anymore when he was on the cross. So he wrote this to disciples, right? Um, and, and, and therefore, we, we should read this accordingly, that it was written to his own disciples. All right. Now, my second question is, um, what did he, what did he tell, tell them to do? Yeah, the beginning of the statement is what? Go and make, huh, okay, wait a minute. I just want to unpack this a little bit. So who, 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 is, who, who are the disciples going to be made, like, what does he mean? Does anybody know? Spread the word. Spread the word. What does that mean, though? Huh? Tell, tell people Jesus is alive, right? Even though some of you don't believe it, because I'm right here, you can go, you know. What does it mean to make disciples? Make disciples of whom? You see, because they would come out of a tradition, a rabbinic tradition, where you would teach your followers to be like you, right? And, and there's disciples in the room, and Jesus says, go and make disciples. I would argue, he said, go and make disciples of himself, right? Go and make followers of Jesus. That's a little different, isn't it? Go and make disciples of all nations. You know, you can make disciples in a whole lot of different things and a whole lot of different realms. And you can have, you can get a lot of people. I tell you one thing I've been struggling with lately with ministry is you can get a lot of people to follow you like when you're feeding people. And I'm not saying that's a great thing to do. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not against that. How could I be against what God says is holy and pure and blameless? But, you, you, but if you look at Jesus' ministry, he's got tons of people following him until he starts to say things like, I'm going to have to die so that your sins can be forgiven, that I'm going to have to give myself up as a sacrifice for all of you, that, that, that to, to survive, to have life, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know what it says? Those big crowds, they just washed out. 
we live in a place, and it's no different than then, where it would be, it's easy to follow Jesus for a minute. And then he starts to ask things of you, and you're like, oh, I can't do that. Scripture is full of people, filled with people who rejected Jesus and his gospel, who walked away. Nevertheless, our call is to go and make disciples of Jesus. <clears throat> And I, that might sound redundant. I'm like, okay, you could, okay, got it, right? But here's the thing. Disciples make disciples, right? That's why I had up there a minute ago. Disciples make disciples. It's our job to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, why, why start here? Why would I, on a parenting series, great, but why start here? Here's the thing. I've talked to parents, and, and this is what they'll tell me, right? And I'm sorry, but this is, they say, they say, uh, I'm, I'm going to church because my kids need it. What? I, I'm going to go to, I, I go every Sunday and I go Wednesday night and I go, I go whenever there's a potluck and I go because my kids need it. And I'm like, wait a minute. And you don't need it, right? And I'm not saying because I'm a pastor because I'm saying that as like a dad. Like if I don't need it first, why do my kids need it? Here's the problem. Your kids know that. That dad that comes here, you know, because his kids need it, that kid knows that. You know how he knows it? The other 105 hours of the week show him that you don't need it. Why did we go to church when we were kids? To keep mom happy. What? Why did we go to Sunday school every week? Because dad won. You know, I'm, and, and there's so much going on here, and I... I um, I just hope you can engage with the reality of this, that we have to be disciples of Jesus first. We have to be disciples of Jesus ourselves before we can make disciples. And that means being a spiritual leader in your home. You can't be a spiritual leader in your home if you are not following Jesus yourself, if you're not convict, uh, convicted, sold out, and pursuing him. Now, it's not just go to church, by the way. You can say, I want, I want my kids to whatever, you know, insert your favorite thing here because they need it. But the truth is, if they look at your life and you don't display the same need that you think that they have in their life, they don't need it either. Because you're, you're saying two things. You're saying one thing with your mouth and something else with your life. This is true for all believers. Some of our friends don't want to be Christians. You know why? Because they don't think we need to be a Christian either, right? We sang a song earlier about crying out for the mercy of God. How, how rarely do we see that in our lives? How rarely do we do that in our lives? Are we really dependent upon God? We say things like, my kid needs to read the Bible, right? But they don't see us reading the Bible, do they? I'm not talking about for a show. I'm talking about for real. And then we get to the end of this road, and we say, I just want my kids to know Jesus. And we wonder why they don't. And I'm wondering if our example is one that shows him to be necessary for life, for fulfillment for everything you need? Or do we have Jesus in this like little corner of our life that he's kind of nice, he's kind of okay, but there's a lot of more important things in the world you've got to worry about? I think that's how we parent. I really do. There's one place that uh, I see this demonstrated pretty clearly, and it's funny because, you know, here I'll give you a real practical example, and hopefully it sticks in your mind, right, about the truth of the situation. If you ever get on an airplane and fly, they always do this thing that I ignore, 
Like I try to find something to do. Because they get up there and they talk about the forward and the aft doors. They talk about the runway lights. They talk about the things on the sides, right? They're doing all this stuff up there. But there's one part of it that I think is so profound that we don't, if we don't listen, it could mean life or death for us. And it's this. They hold that little stringly thing. And they, they dangle it down. I wish they would like, fire one out of the thing. You know, for real, I want to see it hooked up. You know, because they may not even be there, right? How would you know? What, what if you're in the plane and they don't pop out? You'd be like banging on the compartment. No, oh, I've got snookered, cheap airline. But they say this. They say, what do they say when they drop that thing down? If you're traveling with children, first secure your own mask and then secure theirs. Why? Here's my... And you're both dead. In the same way, the gospel, the new life, the new breath has to be firmly fastened to your face so you can see clearly. I mean, Scripture says this repeatedly about getting the plank out of our own eye before we take the speck out of our brother's eye. The call is to first be a disciple of Jesus, sold out, you know, and then, and here's the irony, and I'm, t- I'm and, you know, every person's on their own journey, but here's the, you know, as, as uniquely created beings by the creator himself, but here's the irony. Your children will be drawn to that. They won't have to ask. They'll know. This is life and breath. This is everything. Now, I'm not trying to lay a big guilt trip on you. I'm really not. I just want to us to really think about what has God called us to in parenthood? What responsibilities has he given us? And are we fulfilling them? Now, I'm going to ask one final interactive. This is it. What uh, are the marks of a disciple from where you sit? Like, what would it be that you would be like, okay, that's a disciple, and I can tell that's a disciple. What are they? There's a bunch of them. Anybody? Huh? Unconditional love is a mark of a disciple. Prayer, mark of a disciple. Isn't it interesting that the disciples got to watch Jesus pray? They watched him so much that they got bored and they fell asleep. That's true. Fruits of the Spirit, which are? That list, this list is overwhelming. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you serious? <laughs> what else? Love the things that God loves, hate things that God hates. All right. Some marks of a disciple. Anyone else? Huh? Compassion. Shared suffering. Is that what you mean by compassion? Suffering with? Isn't it interesting? Huh? You've got to know Jesus. There's a scary passage of Scripture about that. Do you know that? There's a passage of scripture that said that Jesus spoke and he said, many of you will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. What? That's kind of a big deal. That's what I'm talking about, making disciples of Jesus Christ. Why? It's a big, it's a big risk for all of us. Here, I, w- I want a couple, a couple other ones that I wrote down. And uh, there's, there's a list. I mean, if you look at disciples, there's a list. You can just see the marks in their life. I hope you do. But here, I want to make some, like, low stuff, because this is where we can get on the train with Jesus. You know what I mean? I don't think he makes it impossible. It's not this kind of, we're not high jumpers when we follow Jesus Christ. We just kind of step on the train. You know what I mean? And the first is this. A disciple is a learner. Remember Mathetes, 
math, right? Mathetes, that sticks in my mind now. You gotta learn from Jesus Christ. You have to have a learning spirit. That means you have to be willing to be rebuked and corrected as a disciple of Jesus. If you don't understand that, you will think you're never good enough to follow Jesus, and you're right. But if you're willing to sit at his feet and learn from him, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'll remind you that his disciples, some of them, when they were in the room with him, still didn't believe. They doubted what had happened. Another would be to be a follower of Jesus. You know what Jesus says? I'll know you're my disciples if you do what I've commanded. That's a crazy passage. I thought it was just I would say I did, I believe you, and I'd live my life, and hopefully somehow by magic when I get there, you're going to be like, I knew him, right? But Jesus said, I will, you'll know you're my disciples when you do what I command you to do. I'll remind you in the Great Commission, it said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, and I'm going to skip ahead, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That's a key part of disciple-making, right? Being a listener, and I said earlier, being a repenter. Here's a final mark. This is going to be the only disciples make disciples, right? One of the marks of a disciple is you make disciples. Now, that's not really profound, is it? But how many of us are doing it? How many of us are actually actively out there every day saying, I need to, to, to be concerned about drawing someone to Jesus Christ? And not, not for my glory and, and not because I'm perfect, but because they need to know him as Savior and need to follow him and obey his commands. Why? Because it will be good with them if they are. They'll, they'll not be eternally saved. They'll have kingdom life now. A, a mark of a disciple is you make disciples. There's no exclusion around this when he talked to his disciples. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And then they told those disciples, and if you don't believe it, read the book of Acts, go and make disciples of all nations. And it went on and on. And they went out. And someone came to you in your life, and they shared the God-inspired uh, gospel of Jesus Christ, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ with you, and it transformed your life. And guess what? Your job is not now to sit on the couch and, and hope that the world figures it out while you way to get to glory to celebrate with Jesus. And I'm seeing that as much to me as it's to you. It's not our job. Our job is to long people to come to know him, to trust him, to love him, to be loved by him, and to follow him. Wow, we can celebrate that kind of transformation in people's lives. Go and make disciples of all nations. A mark of a disciple is making disciples of others. All right, check it out. I want to... Um, I want to read, I'm going to encourage you to read this on your own, but there's another uh, passage we're going to look at, and I'm, going to, I'm actually going to wrap up a little early today, but I, I want you to see this passage of Scripture, and uh, this is the book of Ephesians, it's going to pull up, uh, I've got to push it one more time. The book of Ephesians is a book that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and it's a great book because um, I think I talked about this before, and I actually want to do a book study of this, but it starts, it starts, the first three chapters are about what we have in Christ, and the second three chapters, four through six, is what we are called to do because of what we have in Jesus Christ. And if we don't understand both those things, we won't get this straight in our head. Um, and I would encourage you to read this. That's what I'm going to say. I want to encourage you to read this in your own time. Uh, it's, it's profound stuff, but I want to share with you a few thoughts from the book of Ephesians here. And the first is this, that, that this thing of, of parenting is on-the-job training, OTJ, that's what that meant, on-the-job training, like life, right? You're learning as you go, 
okay? And, and being a disciple of Jesus is the coolest thing ever because you're not alone to abandon to your own hopeless thoughts and your own ways, but you can totally trust him. And when Paul writes the, the book of Ephesians, I want you to see how he opens it up. He says in verse 3, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, listen, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's anointing right? He's given us everything in Jesus, Paul says. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Listen, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his own sight. What? I hope you understand what scripture says about you and about your following of Jesus. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which we, he has given freely to us in the one he loves. And it goes on and on. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made us known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And what, you know, we've been given this opportunity as followers of Jesus Christ, to participate with him in his kingdom come. And uh, this means that we, are, we learn with him, but we are, we are on the job. In other words, what I'm trying to say is you don't, you don't wait until you have it figured out before you begin to do these things. And especially if you're a parent, parenting is on-the-job training. You don't wait till you have it figured out. You just start doing it. For those who are young parents, you go, okay, I get this. That makes sense to me, right? I understand that as a young parent, I'm given a small baby and let me drive away with it. By the way, when that happens, it's like the scariest moment in your life because you think, oh my goodness, I'm in charge of this thing. You know what I mean? Like most new parents have that experience, they wait for like the cops to pull them and go, oh, we were just joking. You can't do this when you're leaving the hospital. But they don't. They don't even follow you home. And you walk to the door and close the door, you know, and you're like, we are, we are on our own to parent this child. On the job training, I'll tell you where else uh, this, this shows up, is um, if you've ever had the experience, and we've had it in our lives, where we've had someone that we were not we had not been trained on the job to come to that part of life. By the way, can I say something about disciples making disciples? I appreciate that there are those who are ahead of us on the parenting curve. There are those in this body right now that are ahead of you on the parenting curve and can help you understand where you, need to, you, know, where you are and what's going on. But uh, we had a situation where we had a 16-year-old dropped in our lap when we had a one-year-old. And one thing we quickly realized is, is parenting a one-year-old did not prepare us to parent a 16-year-old. So I'm saying this on the job. It's, it's, you know, you've been entrusted with this life. And so your call, it, it begins at birth, but you can always, you can always begin to take your parenting responsibility seriously, but you can grow, you grow into it. People look at someone who's parented successful uh, adults, and that's what we're looking for here is successful, well-functioning adults. And they go, wow, how did you do that? And they're like, one day at a time. That's how you do that. They don't, you know, they don't pop out at 18. Uh, you walk every day with them. Remember the passage from Deuteronomy. You walk every day with your children to raise them up. All right. And um, so anyway, so it's, it's on-job training. I want you to see that it's God's sovereignty that even allows you to be a parent. And that's not to say that if you're not a parent, God, you know, thinks you're not capable, whatever. That is not true. I just think that we have to understand that this life is a gift from God, and we've been entrusted to care for it. And if God has called us to do something, he will empower us to do it. He would not ask us to do something we couldn't do. Look at, uh, I want to read in, in uh, 
chapter 1, verse 17, Paul, he's so serious about making disciples. This is what he says. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. You see, Paul has some responsibility in this, so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, and or that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the incomparably great power for those who believe. And you know what he goes on to say here in Scripture? He goes on to say in the book of Ephesians that the power that you and I are given to make disciples of all nations is the same power that was used to raise Christ from the dead. That was kind of surprising to me. And that's just to say that not only are you on the job learning as you go as a disciple of Jesus, but you are called to do it. You're called, you're empowered to do it. All right, the last thought here today is this. Not only are, you, are we called to do it as followers of Jesus Christ, but we're uniquely qualified to do it. Like, he's, he's enabled us to do these things, to make disciples. And again, I want to bring this out, like, for everybody, because the call is to make disciples of all nations. But you know the word nations means people groups. And guess what? If you're in a family, you're a people group. You know that? So, I mean, there's this reality that in your own family, we have responsibility to at least offer. I had someone say something great to me this week. They said, you know, when you get together and you share the gospel, you're just sharing an opportunity. Whether people choose to accept it or reject it really isn't up to us. And that's true for our children. That's a hard thing. I've talked to parents who've said, I've shared, I've explained, I've lived it, I've tried, and, and they just don't believe it. Guess what? We, are, we have this thing called free will that we can choose to make a total mess of our lives. God loves us so much, he's like, you know, have it your way. Scary thing. But here's the, here's the deal. We have an opportunity to be major influencers in our children's lives. And if we aren't willing to at least admit that as followers of Jesus, then we're missing the boat. I think for far too many of our families, we're sitting there thinking, well, they'll figure it out on their own, or somebody will come along and tell them the truth, or hopefully somebody will influence them the right way. And I hope that we, we stop that kind of thinking, and we start to wonder, what could I do actively? What could God do through me to bless my children and train them up? All right. Here's the last thing, and it's the first thing we talked about a little bit already, and it's this. Our example speaks the loudest. This is what gets us in all kinds of trouble as parents, Right? And some of you are afraid, like maybe I was and am still sometimes. If I told my kids the truth, then they would know that I'm not perfect and then they would really make some messes of their life. I don't think that's true. I think if we're honest enough with our kids to tell them where we come from, what we're about, we give them a hope that even they too aren't hopeless. You know what I'm saying? Like our example speaks the loudest. How we choose to live our life now speaks the loudest. But the truth is also that if we can't admit that we were sinners in need of a savior, that we were a mess, uh, we don't have any hope. My favorite conversations I have with parents is this. My 20-year-old, 24-year-old, 18-year-old, 16-year-old is never going to get their life right. And I always ask the same question. If you ask me this, I've asked the same question of you. When did you come to know and follow Jesus Christ? And I'll say whenever I was 30. I'm not saying that's normative. I'm saying God did it with you. So can we have a little confidence he would do it with our kids? Okay. So anyway, it's kind of a primer. I hope that the main, the main focus, and today I wanted to give you a chance to just think about that reality, to offer it the reality that if you really want to influence people for the kingdom of God, if you really want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to be a follower yourself first and foremost. No joke about it. Like you've got to be willing to do that, do that work. And, um, and if you are, 
Then we're going to open up what the word says that we're empowered and called to do as followers of Jesus. That's a pretty amazing passage. Um, so anyway, read Ephesians 1, uh, look through there, and, uh, and continue journeying with us this parental uh, parents and spiritual leaders uh, journey. Please join me in prayer right now. Father God, we've come today to hear what your word has to say about this, this mystery of discipleship somehow that, that you made disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And Father, we do because we know you and we've come to know you and that was not of our own, but your Holy Spirit's revelation through your people. Father God, who shared the truth with us. And I pray that uh, we would become like those. And especially in our families, we confess that we are messed up. And that's probably one of our biggest problems, that we can't seem to get it right ourselves. And yet we know that you have mercy and grace, that your, sin, your, your blood has covered a magnitude of sins. We hate sin because you hate it, yet we continue to do it. We aren't perfect yet. But we, we know the day is coming. We'll be in glory with you, perfect, perfected. And so today, Father, I pray that we would uh, do as the Apostle Paul encourages us and just apply what we know. Just start where we are and follow you. May your mercy and grace reign on us. I thank you for parents who have a heart to have their kids know Jesus. I pray that that prayer, that genuine prayer, would be answered by your mercy and grace in your time and your way. We give you praise and glory as we continue to move forward in Jesus' name. Amen.